Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 this morning. And while you're turning to that, next week we have something special coming up. We have a representative from the Gideons going to minister to us for, well, I told Larry 10 minutes, but he, he might stretch that to 15. I, I, we'll, we'll see. But uh, uh, keep that in the back of your mind because afterwards there will be a special offering for the Gideons. And um, if you'd like to help in that, you, you certainly will have the opportunity. Chapter 4. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And he gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden. I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Many people have attempted to write a history of civilization. Sometimes it's a a big, thick, one-volume book. Sometimes it's several books in a series there attempting to record or give us a history of civilization. Fact of the matter is, they fail miserably. they, They may have good scholarship in what they do, but the record is so incomplete. We have no idea of many things that have happened in in this world and in even in small ways. Sometimes we see those mysteries abound. I remember when we lived in Ekalaka, Montana, someone found a, a stone up on one of the hills outside of town. On it was carved a cross and a date. Uh, just the, the year, not not the, the day. I don't know if the person that carved it even had a, any idea what day it was, but the, the, he did know the year. The, only, the, the mystery of it is the date, and I don't remember what year it actually was, but it was long before any white man was known to ever be in that part of America. They have no idea who carved the stone. They have no idea what the purpose of it was. Was it a burial site for somebody that was with him? Uh, nobody knows. It remains a mystery. It's sitting in the museum there in Ekalaki for people to see and a plaque on it saying, basically, we don't know what 
where it came from or, or, or why it was there. We see the same thing when we look at the cliff houses in the southwestern part of the United States. Who carved them out? What civilization was there? We, we have glimmers of an idea, but uh, again, it's a mystery to us. We, we used to go every year, we would go down to Pittsburgh Landing in the springtime. If you're not familiar with Pittsburgh Landing, it's down on the Snake River outside of Grangeville, down in what is called Hell's Canyon. You, you don't go down there in the summertime. It is hot down there. And, and so we would always go down and, and look around in the, the springtime. But one of the things that we'd like to see when we were down there was the uh, petroglyphs and the petrographs on, on the rocks. Uh, and today, we have no idea who carved them, who inscribed them, where, where did they come from, what, what do they actually mean, and what, what were they trying to say? The record is incomplete today. And the same thing is true when we come to the Bible. God does not attempt to give us a history of civilization. He does give us historical facts, and we need to remember Genesis chapters 1 through 11 covers at least 2,000 years of human history. And so it raises all kinds of questions. How many children did Adam and Eve have? Where did Cain get his wife? Uh, uh, how did they live? How, how did they worship? We need to remember it's not a historical textbook and it's not a science textbook. But if it speaks about history or if it speaks about science, it is accurate. Uh, in writing about the scriptures in Second Timothy, Paul said, and that from a child you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the purpose there. He records these events so that we can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not so that we can satisfy our curiosity of what life was like back then. Because I want to say all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. God records that which is significant, that which we need for salvation, that which we need for to live a, a, a godly life. He has given us the, the record there. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, we don't need to know all these other events and, and, and circumstances of what went on in their lives. And maybe sometimes God simply says, you know what, none of your business. What, what I did with Adam and Eve and, and, and so forth. Uh, it, uh, I kind of like the story of Peter and, and John in uh, John chapter 21 or 22 there. When, when they're by the Sea of Galilee and remember the Lord comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And, and three times they go through that process. And then he reveals to Peter that he was going to be crucified. And uh, Peter didn't like that. He turns around and he sees John following him and he says, well, well, what about John? Remember what Jesus said? He politely said, Peter, that's none of your business. You follow me. And I, I think so often we get hung up on little details and, and Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me. And, and that's what's going on in the, the passage today. Adam and Eve must have been devastated by what happened. When they chose to sin and, and were exiled from the garden, not only were they exiled from that beautiful garden that God had created for them, but they were separated from that fellowship with God, destined to live the rest of their life under the consequences of the fall and under the consequences of that sin. 
But the fact is, life goes on. No one is indispensable except for God, and so life goes on. We've all had moments where we wondered, what does the future hold? Or or do we even have a future? Maybe it comes at the time when we're sitting in the doctor's office and and we get the news that we didn't want to really want to hear. Maybe it comes with a broken relationship or, or a failure on our part one way or another. And yet, the fact of the matter is, there comes that moment where we must move forward. We can't stay stuck in that despair forever there and and that's where we find adam and eve as as we come to chapter four life went on life goes on for them what enabled them to move forward i think it was faith in god now i realize there's several things uh, i'm going to infer from this passage that it doesn't say it doesn't say that they actually exercise faith in God. And when we come to the sacrifice, it's the same thing. And, and you can take exception to my ideas here if you want. That's not going to hurt my feeling at all. My, my wife and I were talking about that last night, and she has a different view of some of it than, than, than I have. And I said, I get to preach. You don't. <laughs> She's not here today, uh, so I, I, I could say that. But... Uh, I think it was their faith in God that enabled them to move forward. If you recall, back in chapter 3, verse 15, God gave a promise to Adam and Eve. And that was that there was going to be the seed of the woman that would come, that would destroy the tempter, that would bruise the head of the tempter and, and have his heel bruised. But he would send a promised Messiah. And I think when Cain was born in chapter 4, verse 1, that Eve thought... God is answering his promise. And when that didn't work out and problems came, you come down to verse 25 of chapter 4, and we won't get that far today. We will get there next week. But uh, again, they have a, a third child. His name is Seth. And notice what she says. She said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel who came slew. So she's looking at Seth now as the fulfillment of the promise. God made a promise she believes somehow God is going to keep that promise. Now, the problem with uh, Eve at this point in time was she didn't understand God's timing. It wasn't time for the Messiah. There, there would be about 4,000, 5,000 years before the Messiah would come on the scene. That did not diminish the fact that she had faith in the word of God. And as we think about that, we too are called to walk by faith, aren't we? Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know about you, but uh, I find that tough at times. I like to walk by sight. I like to have things all figured out. And yet God doesn't always give us that opportunity, does he? God says you take the next step, and then you take the next step. And I can come to the Lord, and I can lay out a whole plan before him. And I think he sometimes chuckles about that and says, I'll do it my way. And you just take step number one and and we'll move forward together here. But many times we do not understand the path that he chooses for us. A few years ago, the last time the um, Gaither Vocal Band came to Spokane, we were sitting in the uh, auditorium downtown Spokane. And I, I still remember the blessing as they sang that song, and I'm not sure the name of it. I've never heard it before. Uh, we'll talk it over in the by and by. 
and uh, he goes on to suggest there, I will not question a broken heart. There are times when that's what we have to do. Just simply turn it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. And, and as, as the song says, we'll have that opportunity someday to sit down in glory and, and he'll show us what the purpose was, what he was doing in our lives. Now, we may not fully understand that at this time. And I'm not even sure, as I think of that song, if we're even going to want to sit down and talk about some of those things once we're with him in glory, it may not be that significant to us. But I appreciate it, the, the, the song and, and what he was saying there about a broken heart. Chapter 4 gives us insights into how life progressed for Adam and Eve. In, in the opening part that we read this morning, we have two sons being born. And then next week we'll look at how society grew and developed and flourished and, and what God was doing in society as well. But this morning... We want to look, first of all, at two sons. The first one is Cain. Uh, he was the firstborn. His, his name is related, and we have a, a, a pun on words here. Uh, when, when you look at the name Cain, it is very similar. There's only one, one letter off from the, the word that means gotten or I have gotten something from God here. It, and, and Cain indicates strength of self-sufficiency, the right of the firstborn. I think Eve had, had some high hopes for her son. He was the one, she thought, that was the uh, one that was going to be the answer to what God had promised. Her problem was not her faith. It was her timing. She thought Cain was the one that God had promised. The second one that is born here is Abel. And I always marvel at Abel. The, the root word for Abel suggests nothingness, suggests someone who is insignificant. It suggests vanity. Why in the world would you name your child a name like that? Well, I, I think she thought we already had the answer. It was in Cain. We don't need, in a sense, Abel. Uh, Cain's going to be the fulfillment of the promise. Can you imagine living with that kind of a name all of your life? I, I, I remember years ago, it, it was amusing as I look back on it now, we were working on the, the Blackfoot Indian Reservation outside of uh, Gleeson, Alberta. We went into a home and we were sharing Christ with a, an Indian man there, uh, and we didn't know his full name. And so we asked him what his name was, and he said, George, and then he gets kind of slurred over the the last name. And, and we asked him three times to repeat it. We couldn't figure out what he was saying. And, you know, we get embarrassed. Uh, is it our hearing that's going or, or, or what here? And so we, we dropped it and, and we just called him George and, and uh, went on with sharing the gospel and so forth with him. Afterwards, uh, my partner and I, and, and uh, we had a, a Blackfoot Indian young fellow with us that was uh, helping to get a church started on, on the reservation. We were helping him get the church started, actually. After we left and we got into the car, we said, what was his name? And he laughed. He said his name actually is not useful. Now, in, in their culture, they, when they were told you had to have more than one name, they looked for something significant that was happening when the child was born, and that, that became their name. One family, their last name was uh, Backfat. 
Where they got that from, I don't know. <laughs> but in this case, he, he and his family were known as not useful. He was a little bit ashamed of that and embarrassed. And that's why he would slur over his last name. I think if, if I was him, I'd change my name, but uh, maybe he didn't know how to go about that. And maybe society wouldn't have allowed that here. But here was a man who they thought was insignificant and not necessary, not needed, because they already had Cain. And uh, it doesn't mean they didn't love Abel, but uh, they, they just didn't see the, the, the point in it here. You ever feel a little bit like Abel sometimes, as if you're insignificant? That don't amount to much. I, I think we need to remember in Second Corinthians 10, verse 12, he says, comparing yourselves among yourselves, you are not wise. Don't look at your life from the viewpoint of somebody else. Look at it from, are you doing what God asked you to do? Are, are you fulfilling his purpose for you? The fact of the matter is, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. In, in choosing David, in First Samuel 16, 7, he said, God looks at the heart. That's what's important to him. It wasn't the name. It wasn't their occupation here. It was the heart that made the difference. And God sums up the two of them in, in John chapter, or first John chapter three, in verse 12. It says, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous there. And, uh, God looked at him, and God, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, says he was a man of faith. Maybe insignificant from Adam and Eve's standpoint, but he was a man of faith, and he offered up a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. So that takes us to the two sacrifices here. Two sons, two sacrifices. Cain's sacrifice comes first. Cain brought the fruit of the, of the land. He was a tiller of the soil. He was in the farming. And I have no doubt that he brought the best that he had, the first fruits, brought them with good intentions, brought them and offered them as a sacrifice to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, was a keeper of livestock. He brought from the flock. Uh, and the problem comes in verses 4 and 5. After the offering was offered there, the Lord, it says, had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now again, that raises one of those questions: How did Adam and or how did Cain and Abel know that God had accepted the sacrifice of Abel and not the sacrifice of Cain? Why did Cain suddenly get so angry about this? What what was going on in their lives? Again, we can only surmise, but I think that the reason here is that they knew Abel's was accepted. Because he, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, came and offered it by faith. Faith in what? Faith, I believe, in the word of God. In Romans chapter 10, we read, So then faith cometh by hearing, in verse 10, and hearing by the word of God. I believe, and this is where my wife and I differed last night, <laughs> I believe that God had revealed to Adam and Eve a sacrificial system. Now, we don't have any record of that in Scripture. But I cannot believe that God left mankind go from Adam clear down to Moses before he spelled out what was an acceptable sacrifice. I, I believe he, he made that very clear to Adam and Eve when he sacrificed an animal and made them the coats of the skin. That was a blood sacrifice there. And one of the reasons I, I say that is if you look at verse 4, it says, 
Abel, on his part, brought the firstling of the flock and of their fat portions there. Now, I, I, I missed that for a while. But as I was reading it again this week, it's not in your notes up there because it wasn't in my notes till Thursday morning. Because I, I, I've been making my way through the book of Leviticus. Any of you ever get bogged down in the book of Leviticus? <laughs> All the offerings and so forth. The, the, the thing that I noticed this time as, as I was going through Leviticus was the repeated reference there, to not just to the sacrifice, but the fat belonged to the Lord. Now, Abel knew that clear back in Genesis chapter 4. How did he know that? Well, I believe God had revealed it to them. And so he was coming, uh, recognizing that this was the requirement that God had given to them. There is nothing wrong with what Cain brought to the Lord. If he was bringing that as a thank offering, again, in the book of Leviticus, the second offering, you have, you have the burnt offering, and then it goes into the grain offering. The grain offering was a thank offering. It was permissible to bring the fruit of the ground. There was no blood offered in the, in the grain offering there. It was simply a means of saying, thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Uh, yeah, you do that. Uh, God blesses, and I know farmers don't like to admit sometimes they have a good year, but they do. And a lot of times they will bring an offering. It's just a way of saying thank you to the Lord. They present that to the Lord there, and that was great. But in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So if this was to be a sin offering, and I think it was, as, as you go down to verse 6 and 7 there, he speaks of the fact that sin is crouching at the door. The only way for there to be forgiveness of sin was through a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, he said, there is no remission. And so Cain was attempting to come to God his own way, not the way that God had revealed to them. I mean, who wants to go to your brother and buy a lamb when you've got all this produce that you can offer to the Lord? And, and so I think... Uh, there's a warning in that for us. We have to come God's way. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, there's all kinds of people out there today that will tell you there's other ways that always lead to heaven, but God's word doesn't say that. He's the one who sets the terms, and I think he set the terms for Cain and Abel as as well. And... uh, I think we need to be careful that our faith rests upon the foundation of what God says. Not what man says, but what God says. We have all kinds of people today that, that are telling us that um, Genesis 1 through 11 is just a collection of myths. God doesn't say that. And Jesus didn't say that either. He said, this is the word of God. We we have all kinds of people that are, are reinterpreting the end time events and so forth. We need to get back to the foundation of what saith the scriptures. What does the, what does God say in his word? And because we've wrestled with that foundation there, we've changed the terms. We've redefined marriage today. It's amazing how many people are saying, you know what, if, if Paul was alive today, he, he wouldn't have held to one man and one woman concept. That, that was a cultural thing. I don't think so. I, I think God made it very clear in the beginning. And, and I think we need to go, 
go back to the basics and stand upon the, the word of God. It, it wasn't cultural. It, it wasn't an allegory. It was the word of God. And, and Cain rejected that word. Abel chose to follow the word that God had given to them. So that leads to two choices. Abel's choice in um, this passage. Now I've realized I'm, I'm switching the order on you. I've been doing Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel. Now I'm going to do Abel and Cain. Bear with me. I, that's just my idiosyncrasies here. A- Abel made the choice, the right one, to, to bring the required sacrifice because he had faith in the word of God. Now, for Abel, that was a costly choice. It, it eventually cost him his life. Uh, he was put to death by his brother there. I think as we look at that, we need to beware of false promises today. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, just come to Christ and all your problems will be over? I I don't find that in Scripture. Uh, You come to Christ, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, that's not a blessing in that sense, uh, as we think of it from the world's standpoint. He, He doesn't make those promises. He said, come to to God, and yes, you'll be rewarded, but maybe not in this lifetime. You may have to await eternity. And that was the case here with Abel. It cost him his life there. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 says, all who would get live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a way of life for the child of God. That That's what he, we, we look forward to. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus beginning in that, Verse 19 down through verse 33 there reveals the fact that we need to keep eternity in view. It says, seek first the kingdom of God, verse 33, and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. We get hung up on all of the things there, and and we forget that we are here not just for today. We are to have eternal values in view. We are living for eternity. Our reward awaits tomorrow. It awaits the time when we're home with Christ in glory. And I think Abel recognized that. And Abel made the right choice by choosing to offer a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Cain's choice, on the other hand, is summed up in Proverbs fourteen twelve, where it says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. He thought he was doing what was right, what was good. And yet, God rejected his way because he didn't come by faith. He didn't come by faith in in the word of God. And Cain reacts two ways here. First of all, he reacts in anger. We're we're warned about that in um, Matthew chapter 5. He speaks of the fact in verse 21 and 22 there that uh, he says, you know, you've heard it said you shall not kill, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother is in danger there as well. It's it's the heart issue that, that's at stake there. Um, and while we can say, maybe, I, thought, I trust most of you can say, I've never killed anybody. Have you ever wished you could wring their neck? Hmm. Jesus said, you've got a problem. It's as if you've committed murder there because it's the heart issue. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, in verse 26, he says, be ye angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You ever struggle with that one? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
Uh, you, you need to settle those issues quickly or, or you're, you'll have problems in your life. As a matter of fact, the very next verse says, don't give place to the, the devil there. Don't give him an opportunity to work. You hang on to that anger long enough and it's going to give him an opportunity to, to destroy you and destroy your work. In James chapter 1, uh, James makes the comment in verse 7. Uh, verse 19 it says therefore my beloved brethren let everyone be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of god therefore put away all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and, and so forth there but he said be slow to anger don't be quick to anger if you've got a short fuse you've got a problem you you need to deal with that before the lord today it was the philosopher Aristotle that said anybody can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, he said, that is not so easy. And, and we need to, to wrestle, I think, sometimes with anger in, in our lives there. Anger is a signal or should be a signal to us that we need to proceed very carefully. When, when you find anger coming into your life, into your heart, don't misuse it there. There, there are times for righteous anger, but be careful. It's a, it's a danger point in, in your life there. So he responded in anger. He responded also here with, with deception in verse 9. He tried to avoid the consequences of his action. The Lord comes to him after he kills his brother out there in the field. I don't know whether he buried him or what, but uh, the Lord says, where is Abel, your brother? Did you notice what he said? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a question I think that uh, demands an answer. Are we our brother's keeper? God says we are. We are to love one another. We are to discharge that debt of, of love to to, to one another there. And Cain's trying to uh, avoid the issue there. Now, he didn't fool the Lord. The Lord knew what had happened. Uh, he, Hebrews chapter 4 uh, in 12 and 13 says, All things are open before the eyes of him with whom we have to, to do. That's both a comforting truth when, when you realize he sees what's happening to you, what others are doing. It's a disturbing truth when you realize when you do something wrong, he also sees it. He knows what, what, what's going on in, in your life. So it's, it's, it's a two-edged sword there that, that, that he's dealing with it at that point. Uh, and and um, I think in this passage, as Cain is struggling with anger and deception here, I think God is taking the initiative. Remember in Luke 19.10, it says, The Son of Man came to do what? Seek and save that which was lost. Not He didn't come to condemn. He came to offer salvation. And here was a man who made some wrong choices, who was had sinned, who, whose living condition was far from what it should be. And God, I think, was holding out to Cain here an element of escape and hope. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And I think in asking him that question, where is your brother, God was giving him the opportunity to confess. He missed it, 
but the opportunity of God's grace was held out to him. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it speaks of the fact as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. If we come and if we confess and if we ask for his forgiveness, he removes it entirely. And I think that could have happened for Cain had he come and confessed. Second Corinthians 5.17 speaks of the fact that we're new creatures in Christ. We don't have to live under the shadow of the past. We don't have to cover up our actions as Cain tried to do. We can turn them over to the Lord. We can seek his forgiveness and we can move forward in Christ. But that led to two destinies. Abel's destiny, we've already seen. He died at the hand of his brother. But I think it's important for us to notice here that even though he was put to death by Cain, he's alive today in heaven. His blood still speaks, the New Testament says. It still testifies to us today. As I think about that, I think of the words of Jim Elliott so many years ago before he was martyred for his faith. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that was that was Abel. He he gave his life. I couldn't hold on to it forever. He was going to die anyhow. But he gained eternal life because of his faith in in God and his home with Christ in glory today. Because death for the child of God is not the end. It's a new beginning. We suddenly wake up in glory. We're home with him in, in, in eternity, and all of the blessings that he has for us are suddenly made possible for us there. But then there's Cain's destiny. Notice verse 11. Cain was cursed from the ground. Uh, he, he was going to cultivate the ground, but it was going to have no success in it and so forth. That strength was going to be gone. He was going to become a vagrant, a wanderer for the rest of his life. He was going to live with the consequences of his sin there and his refusal to accept and come and, and confess in the forgiveness of God. And I, sad to say, many are like Cain today, living in the twilight of sin and shame and guilt and fear needlessly. Because Christ went to the cross. Christ died for us. He gave his blood. That's what we're going to celebrate as we celebrate the the Lord's table here. He died so that we can be made right with God. And I think in verse 13, uh, uh, Cain realizes he missed it. He said, my punishment is too great to bear. I think we see another glimpse of God's grace in that. Because you come down to verse 15 and says, Whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord appoints a a sign for him. I think God is once again in that moment giving an opportunity of grace to Cain. Would he repent? Would would he ask the Lord's forgiveness? No, that wouldn't change the consequence. It wouldn't bring Abel back to life. He'd have to live with that on his conscience the rest of his life. But I think in that moment, again, God said, My forgiveness is available. Now, the question is, did Cain accept that? Where is Cain today? We we have no idea. That's not our story. It's like what Jesus said to Peter. That's none of your business. We'll have to wait till we get to glory to find out what actually happened in the life of of Cain. But um, I I realize 1 John 3, 12 sums him up as, as 
evil man that slew his brother. But, you know, when you read 1 John 3, 12, I, I don't completely write off Cain because in reality, all of us were there at one point in time. All of us were sinners under the judgment of God. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of the fact that we were walking in darkness. Uh, it says we were dead in trespasses and sin, and, and God made us alive. We were walking according to the course of the, the God of this world, the, the principalities and powers and so forth. And yet God somehow stepped into our lives and brought redemption. Can you think back to what your life was like before you accepted Christ as Savior? Maybe you don't want to go there in your thinking because of the tremendous transformation that he gave. I think we need to be mindful of the fact that 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Today is the day of salvation. This is the day of grace. We need to share that love, that grace with others because it's still the day when God is reaching sinful men like Abel, like Cain, it's the day of salvation, and, and God is at work in hearts and lives. And as you think about that, you may have made some wrong choices. Maybe as a young person, maybe even within the last week, you've made some choices that y- you know you shouldn't have made. Maybe even turn your back on God at times. You may be living with some of the consequences of, uh, of some of those actions. But God's grace is still available today. God, in his grace, wants to reach out and change and transform your heart and life. And his offer of salvation still holds. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you allowed him to cleanse you through the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you asked his forgiveness? The opportunity was there for Cain, whether he did it or not, we can only speculate on. But God, in his grace, reached out to Cain. And aren't you thankful that God, in his grace somehow reached out to you, orchestrated events so that it was easier for you to come to Christ than to continue in your rebellion. And uh, as, as you think about that, as we come to the Lord's table, if you made that choice and you've made that decision, I think it's important that you come with a spirit of thanksgiving. That Thank God for what he did on the cross for you. Thank God for the salvation that, he, that he's brought into your life there. But also, as, as we come, we're exhorted in Scripture to come examining ourselves, to make sure that there's not an element of Cain in our heart. There, there's not that deception. There, there, there's not that lack of faith. To ask ourselves, are we really living as God would have us to do? And, and I realize sometimes we feel unworthy of coming to the Lord's table. I like the the story of a pastor years, an older pastor that was officiating a communion, and he noticed a, a lady sitting out there, tears running down her cheeks, and when the bread was passed, she passed it up. And realizing what was going on, he left the place at the front, took a piece of, of the bread to her, and said, take it. It's for sinners. And that is so true today. We come as sinners, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Take it because it's for those who have sinned who will come by faith and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we we partake of that by faith in what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Cain and Abel 
and the story that is told of their lives. Father, as we, we look at that story, we, we wonder, would we really like our story portrayed like that? And yet you use them to speak to our hearts and lives. Father, we thank you that the blood of Abel still speaks. We thank you that Christ's blood speaks better, though, than, than what Abel's did. And, Father, we don't know what happened to Cain, what eventually took place in his life, but you do. And so we just say, Father, thank you that we don't have to answer for Cain. We have to answer for ourselves. And as we come before the table today, give us the courage to examine our hearts, to make sure that we are right with you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing what a friend we have in Jesus. Six, it's also on the top. Let's stand up and join our voices together. Whatever. 